This recording was originally a live conversation which took place at Startup Days 2022. If you only need a small round, maybe you can do it with the groups of angels. Maybe that's all you need. If you want to go into the venture capital direction, you have to know that a VC looks at each investment trying to return their entire fund. So if you're talking to a $100 million fund, their expectation is that you are going to return them $100 million. Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. It's uh, always great to see a full room. It's my pleasure to welcome Sophie and Pascal for today's fundraising masterclass session. Pascal, I'm just going to start with you. You are an entrepreneur, board member, and most well-known as the co-founder and former CEO at Ava. You have plenty of fundraising experience. So from your decades of experience, decades. what is the... <laughs> In the startup world, that, that sounds really bad. That's all right. Yeah. What's the number one mistake that you see newbies making when it comes to fundraising? What I often see is like if I talk to people, first-time founders, is that... They say, you know, I need a million to bring my technology to market. And I've talked to a few investors and they're actually really, really interested in what we do. And I got great feedbacks and stuff. And, and, and that makes me very nervous because then very often if I meet them again a few months later, I already know what happens. None of the few who initially said like, oh, this is super interesting, actually invested, right? And they start over again. Um, so I think following a really clear process and really knowing like from A to Z how this works, I think is super crucial. And I mean, that's basically why we are here. Exactly. We're going to talk about the 10 steps to actually master that process. <laughs> Sophie, from your experience, you're the founder and also managing partner at Dark Labs, a US-based uh, accelerator, basically. You help Swiss companies to scale in the US. So from your experience, what can investors and startups here in Switzerland learn from their U.S. counterparts? Um, I think on the investor side, what, what we see as the main difference is a U.S. investor always looks at the opportunity, right? It's like, wow, what can this company become? And these are the type of questions they will ask and they look for big vision and big picture. And I feel here in Switzerland, often it's some sort of a risk assessment, right? We even say in German, Risiko Kapital. It's in the language, right? It's like, okay, what, is, what can go wrong? What are, what are your measurements for this and this problem rather than thinking and looking at the opportunity? And I guess the right thing to do is something in between, probably, right? That's a very Swiss thing to say again, but yeah. And I think. And so we always coach Swiss entrepreneurs to change their spin if they talk to American investors and really focus on the story and the vision and the big picture and go big yeah. or go home. Yeah, you're probably yeah. not going to convince the US investor with the Swiss mentality if you say, oh, this could all go wrong. And then wrong, we right? first do the Swiss market and then we do the Dach region and exactly. they're like, what? What are you talking about? <laughs> Where is that exactly? So before you actually talk about or talk to investors overall, the, the first step that we have on the process is be investable. So when does it actually make sense that I as a startup think, should I raise conventional venture capital? 
Yeah, I mean, that's really an identity question, I would say, right? It uh, Not every startup needs to raise money from venture capital, right? There is, for certain companies, it makes totally sense to bootstrap, right? Mm -hmm. So if you can bootstrap, that's great. If you only need a small round, maybe you can do it with the groups of angels. Maybe that's all you need. Maybe you do want to go into the venture capital direction. And if you want to do go into the venture capital direction, you have to know that a VC looks at each investment trying to return their entire fund. So if you're talking to a $100 million fund, their expectation is that you are going to return them $100 million. So you really have to think very, very big. Um, Sometimes 10x is not even enough for a VC, right? right? So is that the company you want to try to build? Is that like fast scale? Is that your vision? Then it's the right thing for you. If you want to build something else, then maybe there are other solutions. There are grants, there's bootstrapping, there's loans. Um, yeah. So figuring out what type of company you want to be is the first thing. And then figure out what kind of funding fits my company. So for today, we do focus on the venture capital part. You wanted to add something? Well, just one thing. I think often uh, what I see is you can do a few small things to become much more investable if you decide that you want to do it. You strengthen the team. Um, maybe you build right. some traction. You do some uh, marketing campaign or so. Some, some small stuff that you can do in weeks. Well, maybe not on the team side, but, but within a short period of time, that makes a huge difference afterwards in the, in the whole process, mm -hmm. I, I think. And talking about traction, what is actually from an investor's perspective, what traction do you want to see when you get approached by a startup for an early stage investment? I mean, we go very early stage. We do pre-seed and seed investments. And sometimes there is not much traction in terms of product. I sometimes even kind of free, you know, um, product market fit and, and maybe even pre-product, right? There is maybe a prototype, there's some patents. So we do a lot of deep tech stuff that's early. Um, but for us, it's really about the team at this point, right? It's, have they built the technology and do we see a team that we think they can execute? So we call that uh, founder market fit. And so that's the first thing we look at. And then, of course, certain traction in terms of like, have they been able to validate parts of their technology would be great. Yeah. If they then can validate the product, that yeah. will be the next step. Yeah. Yeah. But you don't necessarily need revenue to uh, look at a case. No, yet. no, absolutely not. Yeah. In our stage, no. Yeah. And one thing is, of course, also how to actually become visible to investors as a startup. No, it's not something where you just reach out to them and the next day they're going to send you a check and say, here, you got your funding. <laughs> it's, it's a relationship building, right? So how do I start that early in the process to be visible and to build that relationship? Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah, like you said, it's relationships. So I think most, the most interesting introductions come through our network, right? It's either other founders we've invested in, it's friends like somebody like Pascal, or it's, other investors that we've been working with or people from the university. So often it's actually through the network. It's very, very rare that it just comes out of nowhere. I think we invested once in an application that just wasn't inbound okay. that we have never heard before, but usually it's a personal connection. So that I think is, is really worth doing, like building network early on to those investors, asking for introductions, making really sure that you know what type of investors you're looking for and what they're investing in. Like it's, nothing is worse than getting the wrong pitch for us, right? It's like, right. oh, but we're not investing in crypto. Why do you come to me? You haven't even looked at my website, right? Yeah. And so I think there's a little bit of research, a little bit of preparation, uh, one, asking people, who can you introduce me to? Who could you recommend? Um, yeah. 
Pascal, the second step that we have in the process is defining the size of the round. Um, usually, you can, of course, look at it like how much money you want to raise, but an even more important aspect is how much percentage of your company should you give away. What is the, the common practice or the best practice there? Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting relationship between how big should the fundraising size be, how much should you raise, and what is your current valuation? Because you want it to be... Probably you want to give away 10 to 25% of your com company in each round. It's important. Big picture is very often I see founders say, say like, I need a few million and then, you know, I'm going to turn break even and, uh, and everything will be fine. If you look at an average Nasdaq IPO, they probably raised five, six, seven hundred million over five to eight rounds or so. So you need to be prepared that it's many, many fundraising rounds. For, for most, for the ones who really, really are successful, you will raise again, right? So you don't want to give 50% of your company in the very, in the pre-seed round away. So it should be something like 10 to 25%, I would say. And now, um, basically, if you have a good understanding what your company currently is valued, um, I think you then can say like, okay, I'm valued now 4 million, so the round can maybe be 1 million or so. That would be post-money. Let's not go into technicalities, but I mean, <laughs> pre-money, post-money and stuff at the beginning, like I, I had no clue what this is about. So when you start, you should probably um, learn about these um, technicalities, which are actually, I think, on this website mm -hmm. as well. Anyway, so um, I think having a good understanding how much you can. So if your valuation, you just start it, um, and you want to raise five million, it's probably not gonna, gonna work because nobody thinks you're now valued at 20 million, right? So you really need to understand that. And now, how do you um, come up with um, the valuation? So typically, when you start off an idea, a good team, maybe some initial traction, you, your valuation is probably gonna be a few million. Don't try to do a DCF or whatever in this stage because it just doesn't make sense, right? With a DCF, you can. I don't believe much in DCFs. You can create whatever valuation you want to, right? So at the beginning, it's probably a few million. And then maybe you get some first uh, revenues, you cross 10 million valuation, and then suddenly, or, or over time, it becomes a revenue multiple. So if you grow quickly, it's maybe a 10x revenue. So if you have 1.5 million of revenue, it will be maybe 15 million. And then over time, much later, it becomes an EBIT multiple. And, uh, and so that's, that's the way and also a lot of explanation how, you, how to think about that. But I think it's really important that you have a good understanding, like what is realistically my current valuation. And it always helps to talk to a few investors, to a few other entrepreneurs, ask them, like, if you see my pitch deck, what do you think? And if you get five feedbacks, you will probably know, okay, it will be in that range. I often see like first-time founders, I mean, you have no clue what, what, is, what is right. And, and if you're really having wrong expectation, you're not going to get the fundraising because all investors think like, okay, this person just has no clue. And mm. we have a very interesting panel here because you, so if you have the investor side, you, Pascal, the entrepreneur side, and that's exactly where you need to find common ground, right? So how do these negotiations look like when you try to get to the right valuation for the first round that you actually raise? That can be tough. I've I mean, we have the similar goals as the yeah. founders, honestly. Yeah. I mean, of course, we want to make sure it's fair, but we also want to make sure the team is able to raise further rounds, right? right? Because that's also in our interest, right? So we want to make sure they 
keep enough stake, right? We want them to keep the ownership for a few more rounds. We want them to have the capacity to raise bigger rounds after that. And we want to make sure that they also know a little bit the steps to get there. Like, I think often founders come to us and they come with the pitch, like what we want to do with this first million. Mm -hmm. But we actually would like to see what they're going to do with this first million once we give it to them. And then what they can achieve with it, because that will be the trajectory for the next round, right? right? And so if you pitch to an investor, you shouldn't pitch to now, you should always pitch the next or even the second next round, right? To say, okay, with this one million, these are the targets, milestones we're going to achieve. This is going to increase our valuation by this. And that's the kind of mass that the investor does in their heads. And yeah. it's really, I like it that you say, actually, we're in the, in the same boat because inexperienced investors, they often try to push you down, right? And they don't even realize that over time, um, this is, this is going to be uh, bad, right? And then inexperienced entrepreneurs, they often try to reach a super high valuation. I've seen that, right? You do a, a crowd equity campaign and you think we're now 30 million, even if it's more, more or less an idea. And then that's really tough because I've done down rounds and everybody in the room who has done it knows like this is not something you want to do, right? <laughs> so it's much easier to be moderate and, and, and just over time build this track record of success and continuous scale. So I fully agree. I mean, we're in the same boat, basically, to, to, to figure out what, what is really good. What and, is fair and what yeah. makes sense for mm -hmm. the stage of the company, what makes sense for this current round, yeah. the founders, the investors, what makes sense for the future round. Yeah. 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 And if you feel that in a conversation, investors are not thinking that way, then you might need to reconsider them. Walk honestly. Away. Yes. Yeah. 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 Another thing, you can actually choose from different ways of getting funding, right? You can have equity financing, but you can also do a convertible loan or a safe note. What is your best practice or choice when it comes to the early stage round? Well, I mean, the big advantage of, um, of convertible loans, or I mean, in, in, in Silicon Valley, it's a safe, right? Like all early stages in, in the US basically is now a safe, which would be a convertible loan for us. Um, let's not go into technicalities again. I think it's important that you understand the difference. What is equity and what is a convertible? But the big advantage of a convertible is that it's very fast. Um, you don't need to go to the notary. You don't have to, I mean, you get, if you look for half a million, um, and someone says, here is 50,000, you can get it and deploy it the next day, basically, um, if it's a convertible. And if it's an equity round, it takes longer. But then, so I would say, like, rule of thumb is probably early stage, it's rather convertible. Also, smaller, smaller rounds are rather convertible. And then bigger rounds, usually the investors probably want to see a, a, an equity round. Do you agree yeah, with that? Yeah, and it's especially in the US, it, uh, I think pre-seed seed, it's all safe, right? right? And for the A round, you do a price round. That's kind of yeah. what's happening now here. I think a lot of investors still ask for a price round for seed, um, but definitely not below a million, I would say, right? Yeah. If, if you have a lead and the, the lead is good and they say we want to do a price round, then yes. If not, convertibles are fine. I mean, we're fine with convertibles. Uh, yeah, like you said, they're fast. It's not like you need to line everybody up in the same couple of weeks, right? What we've been seeing a lot, which makes sense to us, is also to take several convertibles during the year and always raise the cap mm -hmm. because you have a little bit more traction, you can raise the cap. So if you can't manage to have them all in one round at the same time, that's a way right. um, to build traction and just raise the cap.
um, Americans do that, like, yeah, crazy. Yeah, it's like okay, one month later, half a million more. Yeah, it's like, <laughs> it's like on the market. Yeah. You know? yeah. So the third step is then, of course, you also have to explain what the funds are going to be used for. And one very important aspect there is you have to show how you are going to increase the valuation of your company. What's the time frame there, and what are some good value inflection points to actually drive your company valuation? I mean, that depends on, on what the company is doing, but traditionally, so it's it's quite a pattern. It actually, it's not any magical. It's usually 12 to 18 months between rounds. Uh, investors want to see at least doubling the valuation. Um, so there's pretty, things are pretty standard. And if you're in that room, then they're like, understand it. They check their boxes, right? <laughs> um, and so, yeah, inflection points are, Validation, right? Additional customers, uh, entering a new market, uh, having a big pilot that's going, hiring the right key people. I mean, there's a lot of, of things that help validate what you're doing that gives investors the confidence you're going to succeed, right? And from an autoverse perspective, you also have then to make sure that you can actually deliver these points that you put in the plan, right? How yeah. do you balance the you know, the very attractive future vision, but also the hard work that lies in between. Yeah, it's a tough one. It's really a tough one because you, you don't want to be too conservative. I mean, if you say, you know, we, we are just going to grow a little bit and we're really sure we can execute that, most investors will say like, oh, this is not attractive uh, <laughs> yeah. enough. Um, and if you just exaggerate, um, yeah. again, you will just not, there is no way you can actually execute it. So... So I think it should be probably really an ambitious plan, but you still should feel that we can execute that. A bit that. like with and, OKRs, and, right? Yeah, OKRs. Exactly. But still reachable. <laughs> yeah. and, and good investors early stage, they know things are going to change, right? Yeah. It's more about seeing that there is a realistic plan, that the team knows what they're doing, that they will be able to navigate even hurdles or if there is a, a longer timeline than expected, right? Like everyone knows that. Yeah. It's more about, is that plan realistic yeah. at this point in time? Right. Yeah. And you all communicate that usually in a pitch deck that you send to investors. So I'm very curious to hear from both of you what makes a good pitch deck, because that's often one of the first things that you send to a potential investor. Let's start with you, Pascal. Simple. <laughs> <laughs> I want to say the same. <laughs> no, I mean, it's like the ones I see, and I see quite a lot, they're just always way too long and too complicated. Um, basically, what you want to do with the pitch deck is really get the, in, uh, the, the, the attention of, of, of an investor to, to jump on a call with you. I mean, that's, that's what the pitch deck should do. And I just always see that they're, you know, I mean, try to just... Explain your deck to your neighbor who has no clue about what you're doing and this kind of average educated. And if she or he gets it, then you're probably good, right? And if not, I mean, it's just, uh, it's just often way too long. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Like uh, sometimes we even get emails where I, in the email, don't understand what the company is <laughs> doing. So do you want to get on a call with someone where you don't know what they're doing? Probably not, right? So yeah, simplify it, bring it straight to the point, what you're looking for, what you're building. Uh, I, I was just had a conversation last night, Why Combinator spends the first week, the whole week with the team just to get their one sentence. What wow. are you doing? Yeah. Because it's the most important thing. 
Yeah. It's like not just for when you're talking to investors, also when you're hiring, also when you're talking to customers, anyone, right? It's like, how do you explain what you're doing and make it sound exciting and clear? Yeah. So yeah, we like pitch decks, yeah, like you, that are short, 10 slides, tell me what you're doing, tell me what you're looking for, and then I'm interested and all the rest we can figure out in the conversation. Right. Yeah. So as a fourth step, we actually have written down, test the waters and iterate. So once you have the pitch deck ready, Pascal, you go out and share it with a few investors. What do you then do? You want to test, get their feedback, and it's not set in stone. You probably also adapt and change things along the way. Yeah, I mean, we're going to talk about the process, like maybe step five or six about like really going out broadly, right, to a hundred investors. And we're going to talk about that. But before you go out to a hundred investors or so, I mean, you want to make sure that the deck is really good. And um, so what I like to do is really pick a few people in my network whom I know or have trust and just ask them for radical feedback, right? I don't want to, you know... Uh, that they say, yeah, 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 this is great, Pascal, and stuff. This is not of interest, but really tell me, what do you dislike? What do you... And then you keep working on that. So, so that's usually the first step. I talk to a, a few um, uh, selected investors um, and, and really radically uh, transparent and, uh, and honest. And then as a next step, I go to my... Like if you already have investors... I would go to them and try to get their support because this helps afterwards so much if you have investors. But that's a, that's a typical question. Like, are your current investors also investing? And it's a clear sign if you say like, yeah, no, they're not. And I mean, everybody thinks like, okay, maybe it's not going so well. Um, so that would be the second step. And then afterwards, you also probably want to have a long list of potential investors, right? That you can then really approach with the yeah. optimized pitch deck. How do you get to that list? Um, I guess you have to do it on your own. There's not a list that you can just download on the internet. I mean, let's quickly talk about this list. I mean, if I tell people you need to talk to 100, often they're like, really? And, you know, shouldn't we be selective and just talk to a few? And my experience is really, I think it's so important. It's a bit like B2B business building, like, like you, you need to talk to, let's say you have 100, a good list of 100 potential investors. Um, 50 of them will be interested to do a call with you if you have a good list. If you have a bad list, probably just a few, right? But if you have a really good list with intros, 50 of them will be doing a call. Maybe 20 of the 50 will go to a next phase and start going into due diligence. And then the long discussion and they want to know more and stuff. And, and then once you have a first term sheet from one of the 20, then it becomes, everything becomes really nice, right? And then you probably get the second, a third, a, a fourth, and you can start to, to choose the investors you want, right? So if you just talk at the beginning to five or ten, even if they tell you at the beginning, hey, this is really cool, I've heard that a million times, right? That doesn't mean anything, basically. It's better than if they say it's bad, but it doesn't mean anything. Um, so you really need a certain number um, uh, to get there. And I think to, to, to really now respond to your question, I think you need to... I mean, do research, uh, check. Probably what usually is, is helpful is you, you see, like, what are other companies in, in my space? You go to 
to Crunchbase or whatever other tools see, like even on their website, see what are the investors, maybe not direct competitors, but other interesting companies that are maybe not directly competitive. Mm -hmm. and, and so by doing that, you talk to people, you get to, to a list of a, of a hundred. And I mean, there are lists you can download with a thousand. So it, it's not about, but, but that's not so helpful. You really need a, like a specific uh, solid list of investors, I think. But would you agree with the hundred or like, how do you see that? I, I I don't know. Hundred seems a lot. I mean, yeah. there there it is. It, yeah, you also want to get beat on at some point, right? Like, I would. I don't know. I would. Uh, it's good to have the list, but focus on the ones you really want first. Focus on the ones that can potentially lead, that are really going to add value to the space you're in, right? Do they have, like he was saying, investment in a similar space? If you're a healthcare, a health startup, do they invest in health, right? Do they? Are they able to open doors for me? Uh, like what other value can they add to just the money? I think I would definitely categorize them and then prioritize and start with those you really, really want first. And then it makes sense to have a good list because you want to talk to a few at the same time. We often have people come to us and we're the first investor they're talking to. And then there's no timeline, right? So we're like, oh yeah, that sounds interesting. But then if there is no other conversations, then we can drag this for months, right? If there is like, oh, yeah, I'm talking to investors today. Yeah, we're expecting a term sheet. Then you know, like, okay, things are happening. I have to speed up with my due diligence if I'm interested, right? And so that's the kind of uh, speed you want to generate. So, yes, a good list. I don't know. I would maybe say 50, not 100. Yeah. And prioritize it clearly. Who is the potential lead? who is really in my space, who could be nice, follow, uh, uh, yeah. Right. I think and I mean, also, if you have 100, you need to be super efficient. And I've come to, because I just did so many fundraising rounds, I've become very, very efficient. I mean, I do, <laughs> and, and actually the pandemic is great because it used to be that you met people, right? So every meeting would just take hours, uh, even if it's in your city. And nowadays it's a half hour call um, I have a very clear, I mean, you can pre-record the deck or so, just send it to them uh, up front, and then you just do short interview, try to find out about them, ask them questions, right? And yes. eliminate the ones who are not perfect fits. Do they still have money? Have they done other investments in, in your space? The, like if you, and again, like there is quite some, some detail here on, on your website, uh, Silvan. So, so, so have a look at that, how to make a super efficient half-hour call. And it's good to eliminate. Don't be afraid to just boil it down. Uh, uh, but, but I think it's, yeah, whether it's 50 or 100, I don't know. But I, I just, I've come to really, uh, because very often you don't get the money actually from, from the parties you, you think. It's often just indirect and you need to just... And, and you, you want you want to also think about the composition. I think of your investors, right? The round usually has not just one investor, maybe has like four or five, and so maybe you have one that's really in your space. You have one that you know can follow on the next round. Really important too, because like like Pascal was saying before, right? Often the new investors coming in. Oh, what are the existing investors putting out? And if they're all kind of done, then this is not great, right? So you want to make sure that you have a team of investors behind you that then can help you for the next steps. So, yeah. Yeah. And of course, the important question here is also how do you actually get these intros? I mean, you now have a very broad network due to your experience, Pascal, but if you're starting out, how can you actually get the intros to the investors? Because that's a much higher chance of success mm -hmm. if you get a warm intro, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to events like this one, right? Just talking to people. I mean, there are great opportunities here to just do one-to-one -one and get to know people. I think via your friends, I mean, start building a network of other entrepreneurs, other startups, and they will have done uh, fundraising rounds and ask them to do introductions. wouldn't ask someone to make... 20 introductions, but maybe if you see they're connected on LinkedIn and, and you ask, hey, can you do these two uh, uh, intros? Most people will, will do that. They, um, so, so I think the community is actually quite open um, to support each other. But I mean, it, it, it does require that you also uh, network and meet people and stuff. That's important. And just ask for it. Just keep asking, right? I think like there you shouldn't be shy to ask other founders, to ask other investors, to also ask feedback about the investors. I think mm -hmm. that's a really smart thing to do also. Like which one is your favorite investor? Who was helpful uh, right. in the past? Or who was maybe a problem? Or yeah, just get do your due diligence just as the investors do it. But for you also, from an investor's perspective, if you receive a warm intro from somebody you know of your network, does that increase the chance that they, you take a call with the entrepreneur? Yeah, of course. Absolutely. Of course. Absolutely. So it's so important. Absolutely. Um, I mean, we're trying our best to also look at the cold emails as good as we can. But yeah, it's of different. course, it's very different. It yeah. sticks out. Of course, if if one of uh, somebody I know and I trust recommends a person to me, then of course, I'm already interested or warmed up uh, it's normal yeah. it's it's like dating or friends it's the same thing we're all humans right, right. yeah so pascal now we're building this excitement we have the first investors interested maybe even a first term sheet what importance is the one of the lead investor how important is it to have really someone going into the lead that you can also advertise as joining you on that fundraising round yeah, I think it's super important. And I mean, having a good lead and a term will really change the dynamics of your round. So I think it is important. But then again, I mean, I've seen rounds where you're just, I mean, it drags along and nobody sends you that term sheet that we ourselves did a term sheet. And then told, I mean, you should never lie, but you can say, hey, these are the terms that we are, and would you be uh, agreeing with that? And, mm -hmm. and, and that's also how you can potentially um, accelerate the process. But I think in general, I mean, a term sheet should not be a huge surprise. Again, I think we are both the investors and the startups should be on the same boat. I mean, I've seen term sheets that are 50 pages long and, and you're like, with so many kind of just complex clauses, I, I guess the uh, probably the lawyers will like that, but but I think um, <laughs> I think it should be very simple. Basically, it should be like, what is the investment size? What is the valuation? ESOP. So that's usually a part which I feel is important. So an um, an option program. It can be a virtual program, whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so how you incentivize your your people. You probably want to discuss board and maybe some standard tag along, drag along, whatever. But I mean, it's basically a one pager. It should not. Um, it, it should not be so uh, such a special thing. But 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 once you have first uh, kind of signed term sheet, it makes a huge difference. Right. right? And, and good investors also collaborate, right? So if you have a good lead, they would bring in other investors yeah. that they like to co-invest and that are also vetted and they've been working together. So that's also a great thing too. And who should actually in. create the first term sheet? Is it the entrepreneurs or the investors who should come up with the first draft of it? Traditionally, it would be the investor, right? Yeah. And traditionally, and ideally, it's not just one. 
Like sure. that, that should always be your goal to get two or three term sheets. That, that's your goal. And if you end up with one and that's a good, then you're happy. But the goal should be two or three right. because that's how you can negotiate. That's how you can choose. Um, that's, that's the best place you could be. In. And once you have it, really the power balance changes. I've seen that so many times. <laughs> like at the beginning, as an entrepreneur, you're pushing, pushing, pushing. And, and then, uh, and the investors are up here. Sorry. You were, you were down here and you're pushing and, and, and trying to, to, to get their attention. Right. And then suddenly you get a first term sheet and it starts to even out. And at the end, like when you have two yeah, or three yeah, yeah, term yeah. sheets, you're actually, as, the, as a CEO, you're in the good position. And then you start to ask questions like, why would I pick you? <laughs> <Right>? like that. <laughs> I mean, don't become arrogant, of course. But I mean, that, that's really like the, the term sheet is the shift of the, of the power and, and you will see how quick they can suddenly be, right? Yeah. Like before yeah. they were dragging yeah. for yeah. weeks yeah. and suddenly they can produce, produce their term yeah. sheet for tomorrow. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And they totally can. So yeah, that's that's the place you want to be. Yeah. So that's actually a great topic, right? You want to you want to create this fear of missing out, right? Yeah. Getting term sheets is probably the best way of doing so. Is there any other tactic or strategy that you can apply there to really create this fear of missing out if you don't have that many term sheets yet? Yeah, I mean this timing is really I mean I think fundraising in general, I mean in a way I'm I'm an economist by training and I always thought like, you know, and it's it's about you know finance and stuff and it's about the, the p and l and projections and and hard science in a way right yeah. but then i mean uh, fundraising is really much more psychology than, than <laughs> accounting, I guess, right so it's really knowing when you can start pushing because like fake deadlines that's not working really you should be very careful with that so if you tell them Give me feedback until the end of May, and otherwise it's too late. But that's usually, I mean, be very careful with that. Um, I mean, it's fine to tell them that we are now in many discussions and stuff, but I would not be careful with dates because often it's the 1st of June and you still don't have the money. And right. then it's super embarrassing, basically, to get back to them mm -hmm. and say like, hey, you know, um, can we talk? I mean, that, that just doesn't work. Um, so I think the, the creating this fear of missing out or this FOMO is really about, you know, keeping them excited. So you go into due diligence, but you, you tell them, hey, you know, we just had this great milestone again, like last week or yesterday. And, and you keep them excited. You say like, hey, we're now in advanced discussions and let's do another call to... So, so it's, it, it's really, you know, maybe, I mean, you mentioned the kind of the parallel with dating. It's, it's maybe a bit the same, right? I mean, keep it exciting and, and interesting in a way, right? Um, and, and also you want to create that um, feeling that you're not talking just to us or like that one. So you're talking to several, so you know there's some competition. Be ready. Like sometimes it happens to us. They're like sending you, oh, that's interesting. Can we see the long deck? Oh, we're still working on it. Uh, and then they send it to us three weeks later. Then you know yeah. exactly they don't talk to anyone else, right? right? And then you ask for the data room. It takes another three weeks, right? And then you're like, okay, uh, we're the only ones. And yeah. so that's not what you want to, you want to be ready. You want to create a feeling like um, it's happening. It's happening with or without you. Right. This is an opportunity that there is. Either you can jump on this opportunity or somebody else will. Okay. That's the spirit. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so have these documents ready before you actually talk to them, ideally. Yeah, and talk to a few at the same time. It will also be good for your confidence, like, because yeah. it's always hard to get a no. 
right? Sure. It's always a little yeah. bit of a downer. So if you're talking to a few and you have several eggs in the basket, then yeah. the one no is not going to take you down that too much, right? right? So it's good. Oh, I have but another let's, call Let's tomorrow. quickly talk about this no, because I think this is so important and I see it all the time. Like if you talk to a hundred, even if it's 50, yeah. you will get by definition... Yeah, 97 no's, right? Yeah. And some no's are nice, the nice way and kind of boring ways. Hey, it's a bit too early, but you're on to something really interesting and let's be in contact, <laughs> right? I mean, that's a kind no, which probably doesn't keep you up at night. You just say you're whatever, right? Or the fit is not exactly right. And, so. and then there are others who are really direct and tell you, we don't believe in your approach or, or your team is not, whatever, like stuff that is quite direct, sometimes mean almost, and sometimes also very helpful, and you should, you should listen well. But I mean, just be prepared for 97 no's. And I think it's important to know that if you know this happens to all of us in the room, you get 97 no's. Um, then that, that makes it easier to actually get that. Because I often see that, you know, you get 10 no's and people are just so frustrated and, and, and almost give up, right? And, and if you're prepared for that, it's going to be a, a lot of no's. You have a team and you say like, hey, let's have a drink together. Right. <laughs> so that, all that stuff helps. But it's, it's really, I mean, in general, like building a startup, I mean, you have so many ups and downs and you're constantly kicked and stuff. You need to be prepared for, you know, getting, getting no's. It's, it's okay. And it's not a no to your company or to you, right? It's just more, this is not a match. Like if you think of it that way, it's going to be much easier, right? And there's so many different criteria that the investors have behind, right? It's timing, it's stage, it's region, it's, I don't know, their portfolio construction, who knows, right? And often it's not specifically that your company is not good enough, it just doesn't match their thesis or their approach. And then it's a little easier, like, it's a no, this is not a match, it's not a no to you and this company, necessarily. So, of course, there are also additional documents that you then need to prepare to actually close the round from a legal perspective. I don't want to go into technicalities here, but one last question before we open up for questions from your side. Once you've closed the round, how are you going to celebrate with the team? I, I mean, it's always great if you can get together with the founders. I mean, for, for us, we are a special case because we also run an accelerator. So for us, closing an, an investment deal means we start the collaboration, right? So it means we're working with the team for a year. It means we talk to them every week. So it's really like then getting closer to them. So for us, closing the round is the beginning. And I'm, it actually should be for every investor, even if they don't run an accelerator, right? It's the beginning of a relationship. Right. Yeah. How did you celebrate when you closed the round? Just maybe if I may, just a small sure. comment before I talk about celebration. I, I, I think actually once you close it, this is a very, very important phase of your startup. And, and I've done mistakes myself and I see many others that you suddenly have a few million on your account, right? And you're super happy and you let's talk about celebration in a second. Um, but you get ready for that. And it time flies by, passes by so quickly. So you, uh, it, it, takes so little time until the few million on your account are, are gone and your valuation is not doubled or tripled, but you're still basically, you know, just things take on. So this phase just post fundraising is really, really crucial. Um, and uh, also like some examples on the website, um, 
uh, I think as a CEO, uh, like everybody before, you always said like, hey, we don't have money for this project and we cannot raise your salary and we cannot. And then suddenly you have a few million and it's tough for you as a CEO to say like, no, your salary is not going to be uh, much higher now. We're just a little bit higher and, and, and projects, no, we're not going to do that. So, so I think that is really be, be, be very careful once you have the money. Um, and now talking about celebration, I agree. I think spending time together is really the best. And um, and it can be very simple. I mean, just go into a, whatever, a, a small house in the, in, in the mountains and just spend time together. It can be super cheap. And, uh, and that, that is really, I think, what counts at the end. Much more than kind of expensive stuff. Um, Absolutely. So now we can open for some questions. What else that we haven't talked about yet or where you want to know more details about? Yes, first one there. Just, uh, you know, raising in the current environment, um, what would you think about this now? What's your view? I don't know, maybe, maybe you've been around 2008. Um, just um, maybe some, some insights on that. Maybe angels have a bit of harder time right now, right? Uh, many of them might have money in the stock market that they don't want to pull out right now for a startup investment. Um, I think the VCs should be, I mean, they're on a longer trajectory. They've raised their fund. They usually have, I don't know, raised for the next three, four years and need to deploy that. So depending on where they are in their timeline, it shouldn't matter that much. But I think angels, they're... There you might feel it a bit, yeah. But I think you valuations like as, as kind of the big multiples have crashed, right? On yeah, I well. think it's gonna Super come down. It's gonna come down. They they usually say it's about six months after the market is also the startups valuation coming down. So I think probably, it will yeah. probably will come. So and I think it's not it's just the business stage; it's also the later stage, like the mm. um, the soft banks and the Tiger Global and stuff, who really radically lost uh, money over the last uh, two months or so. And and I think if they don't push up then valuation, also later stage, um, kind of the valuation. I think think the valuations come down. So you need to be more conservative. The later stage ones are being compressed, and then it kind of trickles down. Yeah, it trickles down. Well, exactly what happened stage. before, right? Yeah, By raising exactly. it up, and and it's maybe not a terrible thing, you yeah. know, for no one. Yeah. Um, there was also some craziness happening that didn't make too much sense. So, and I think it really takes. I see that now that that it takes longer at the moment than it took like uh, six months ago i think it's and it's just the feeling of the insecurities going on it's not this like hype yeah. uh, phase so it's no. it's also like you were saying it's psychology also there you know it's the, the the atmosphere is slightly different but you're right i mean the money is there the vcs have lots of money they probably have as much money as they have never had before even in switzerland i mean there's yeah. so much so the money yeah. is here that's not the issue it's really more psychology and yeah, yeah. and and your story is a long-term story if you're raising money for a startup right you're gonna trajectory seven ten years right so markets will change as you go yeah one more question yeah, yeah. Uh, you said earlier that it's essential to have a good team of investors that you know push you through several rounds mm -hmm. of financing what would you say is a good number say in the beginning or mid phase of your startup how many? Mm -hmm. How many? Because, you know, it's like in politics, uh, the more people have something to say, the more parties, the more difficult it will be to push them in the same direction if they are on the board of direct presence. So, so what's a good number? For each round, you mean? Yeah, I don't know what you say. I, I, ideally, it's like, I don't know, five in a round would be kind of ideal. 
I, I mean, I'm just pulling this out. I think it depends on your case. I mean, there, there could be one angel that you really want because he is this perfect uh, expert in your field and, and he comes in with a small ticket, but you really want him because he's also an advisor. So then you make space for those kind of people. Uh, but otherwise, you don't want it to be too crowded. There's also people management, right? It's relationship management. Uh, but yeah, make sure that you have, that's why I said five or so, because you might have one that's in your field that can help you on the on the company or the industry side. You might have one with deeper pockets that can do the next round. So it's good if you bring in expertise in addition to the money. Um, yeah, also yeah. here, um, when, when at my startup, we had 12 business angels on there on the cap table. It just increases your overhead. You have to get a signature from every one of them whenever you need something. So that can save you a lot of work later down the road. So I think three to five is a good amount to not be too dependent on And then each round, you're adding more, right? Yeah. So imagine you're going to do four or five rounds. So yeah, it's going to increase. And you're, you're looking for people who have the same values, the same mindset to, yeah. you know, Exactly. I mean, that's, there's always, like, we see a lot, I think, where people, founders change their pitch because of feedback they've gotten from investors. And I think sometimes it makes sense to listen, yes, but it also makes sense to know what you want and try to find the right investors for you, right, that support your vision and mission, I think, more than just try to fit in. Um, because you're going to, if you ask 50 or a hundred people what they think, you're going to get most likely 50 or a hundred opinions. <laughs> so, but I mean, most, I mean, that is where you want to go, that you have a, an oversubscribed round and then it becomes interesting because then you can choose the ones you feel like there is a, a good match personal and also, um, kind of from their background, but most startups, um, that's the ugly truth. Don't get to that point. Right. So at the end, they just take the money that they get, right? And they don't really, you know, they say like, okay, it's, uh, I'm not sure about this person, but it's half a million, we just need to take yeah. it, right? And, and, and that like down the line, um, or yeah, can, can really um, be, a, be an issue. It's, it's like we were talking about dating before with the fundraising, but once they're on your cap label, it's a marriage, right? Yeah. So yeah. really, no, think about that. You're gonna be stuck with these people for the next 10 years. Do you want to be, and, and especially in Switzerland where investors have pro-rata rights and a lot of rights, actually, a lot more than in the U.S., you, you need their signature for everything moving forward, right? So. I do want to be respectful of your time. We're going to st stick around for another few minutes, so if you want to ask more questions, please come. Uh, yeah, just adding on, on this, so what would you ask the investors? So you said before that also you should raise some questions and it would also help, I guess, to protect it or the nice ones that you want to get or, or the not so nice. So what would you actually ask? Well, I think the personal feeling you get via the conversation. So I think that that is. And then I, I just often, um, I ask, how many investments do you plan this year? And you will be surprised that you get yeah. weird answers and some who <laughs> always say we're this multi-billion, blah, 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 family office and, and suddenly you find out they... Or how many have you done in the last 12 months, right? How many plan do you plan? And you get surprising answers and you can just eliminate some of them, right? Um, it can be stuff like, um, what do you, like, especially if it's a lead investor who joins the board, like, what is the most challenging um, situation you've had in the board over the last two years and how did you react to that? I mean, that all that stuff, I mean, basically like a job interview almost, mm -hmm. um, um, but again, you need to have uh, different ones who want to invest to, uh, to actually really get to this. Uh, 
to this stage. Yeah. Yeah. Ask them if they lead or if they rather follow. Ask them how much money they actually put aside for each of their investments for follow-on investments. Yeah, ask them about challenges they went through. Tell them what value can you yeah. add to my company, right? Just up front, right? Uh, see what they say. Uh, ask for, if you if you don't know anyone in their portfolio or you can't reach out to them, ask them for yeah. introductions to other portfolio yeah. companies to talk. Yeah. Um, like they do the same thing, right? They want to, they want during your due diligence, they will want to talk to people around you to do the same thing. Yeah. It's a meeting, right? It's not just them choosing you. Yeah. You're choosing them just as much. So yeah. There's obviously much more content and we recorded all of that for the <laughs> 10 phases with Pascal and Sophie. Uh, you can find three to five minute videos per stage, but also a lot of text that Pascal wrote to go into way more detail with all the technicalities and stuff. You find that at Swisspreneur.org, it's called Fundraising Masterclass. So Swisspreneur, like Swiss, and the last word of entrepreneur.org. Pascal, Sophie, thank you so much for thank coming. <laughs> All the best, and it's always a pleasure doing a session with you. Thank, thank you so much. You. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you did, you can support us by rating our show on Apple Podcasts. This way, we can reach an ever-growing number of aspiring entrepreneurs. <laughs>